So we're going to go ahead and continue in our, our, our uh, dwell into the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I think we're going to have, so we've got Pastor Mike next week. And then the next Sunday will be the 9th. Um, 9th, is that right? Probably the 9th. Um, so we'll have one more on Corinthians. And then we're going to go and have our Easter service, which will be a message on Easter. And then we're going to get into our culture of Living Hope Family Church. So we've got a couple more. We're going to take a break on Corinthians, and then we're going to do the who we are as a church. That goes for about eight weeks or so, and then we'll get back into Corinthians. But that's where we're at right now. This is part 12. And uh, last week, if you guys remember, we dealt pretty much with the topic of sex and how that works uh, uh, from a biblical standpoint, more specifically, the biblical view of the subject. And just like we said last week, the more I talk about it, the weirder it gets, the weirder it feels. But the truth is, is that we need to understand how it works from a biblical standpoint, understand that there's nothing wrong with sex. It was created by God, but it needs to be um, enjoyed in a biblical um, relationship, that it needs to be done under the covenant of marriage. And when we do it outside of that, it just causes problems in our lives. And then we remember Paul said, but if you can, you should just remain celibate. Remain single, remain celibate, and, and go that way. Because in that case, you're not being distracted by your spouse, uh, but you're able to serve the Lord fully and wholeheartedly instead of also serving your spouse. Mr. Amen in the front over here being distracted. You're supposed to be serving your spouse. <laughs> and... Uh, so, yeah, that's so what we're, we're looking at. He says, you know what? If you can remain celibate, go ahead and do so. But if you can't, get married so that your, your passions don't cause you to sin. We also learn, and this is one that everyone's excited about, that the married man's body is not his own, and the married woman's body is not their own, but rather it belongs to their spouse. And the point of that was is that, that in a marriage particularly because of all the damage that, that, that the uh, sex outside of the marriage and those passions, those desires that we all have normally can cause, that you're not supposed to withhold um, the, the conjugal rights from one another. You're supposed to enjoy those in the, the, uh, uh, the confines of a marriage, of, of that, that relationship, that covenant. But you're not supposed to withhold that from one another. You're not supposed to use sex as a weapon. You're not supposed to do any of those things. And the only reason that sexual intimacy should be withheld is if you guys agree for a time. But Paul then said, don't do that all the time. Come back together again. Because if not, the problem is, is that we, most of us, unless we've been gifted to live a life of singleness, have a, a desire and appetite for sexual things. And that's perfectly normal as long as we're satisfying those desires inside a biblical relationship, being married to a man or a woman, depending on which you are. So this week we're going to go ahead and look at uh, those who are married. So this week we look at those who are married to unbelieving spouses. That's how we're going to start it out. Because he talked about last week, he said, all right, we're dealing with those who aren't married. If you can stay unmarried, stay that way. But if you can't, get married so you don't fall into trouble. And then he said, <clears throat> those who are married, stay married. You're not supposed to get divorced. Stay married, remain that way. And then he said, now for those of you who are married, but you have an unbelieving spouse. And we're going to learn, how should we handle that situation? How should that, we go forward through there? 
We're also going to look at remaining the way that you are when you're saved. And what he means by that is, if you're a Jew, don't try to become a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, don't try to become a Jew. If you're a bondservant, don't try to use your Christian liberty to get out of the, the responsibilities that you have. And if you're free, don't try to get enslaved because you belong to the Lord. And then finally, if you're married, stay that way. Amen? So let's get started so we don't spend too much time here. 1 Corinthians seven twelve through 13. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So like I said, Paul had been dealing with the married folks and the unmarried folks, and now this is the next situation that was probably pretty widespread in this church. You know, Paul's basically dealing with the rest of you. And these are folks that got saved, but their spouses did not. And as a result, they felt single. Because they, they were struggling. They're, they're wanting to serve the Lord, and their spouse does not. And there's a real conflict. And they essentially, particularly in serving the Lord, felt, felt single. They felt isolated. They felt alone. And undoubtedly, there was many of these couples in the Corinthian church because Paul came through, he ministered to them, and it's not likely that they all got saved at the same time. There's probably a lot of couples in this situation. And about this particular situation, Paul says, you know what? I don't have a direct command from the Lord. But he did what believers have to do in situations like this. How many of you guys know that every situation that you're going to come into to, to encounter in your life is not specifically dealt with in the Bible. There are things that we're going to have to make decisions on based on other stuff in the Bible, based on the, uh, what we, who we know God is, and we're going to have to make these kind of decisions. And this is one of those areas. Paul says, you know what? I don't have a direct command from the Lord. But he began to infer what the answer to this question would be based on what the Lord has already said, what, based on the Lord's views on marriage, based on all of those things. And he based this advice on, on God's commands about marriage, and he applied them to the specific situation that the Corinthian church was facing, even though it hadn't been dealt with in Scripture anywhere else. And the truth is, is that we're often going to have to do the same. And we're either going to have to make the decisions ourselves, or we're going to have to confer with leaders in our church, or the people that have a good command of the scriptures to help us. Like, what, is, what does the Bible say about this? How can we, we deal with this? How can we, how can we apply God's word to this specific situation that is not in his word? How, what is God's will for this in our lives? And in this case, Paul was the, the father of this church. He planted this church. He cared about this church. He cared about the people in this church. And he says, you know what, I don't have a direct command from God, but based on the fact that I'm walking with God, and I think I have the Spirit of the Lord with me, and the fact that I know God's uh, opinions and other areas that are similar to the subject, this is what I have to say to you. He says, to the rest I say, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce them. 
See, what was happening was, is because of the desire to serve Christ, these men and women who, who had an unbelieving spouse, because of their desire to serve Christ, they thought that maybe it would be a good idea to divorce their, their pagan spouse, their unbelieving spouse. It would probably relieve a lot of tension that was going on in the marriage. It would probably uh, make it easier for them to serve God without, you know, like I said, when you're married, you still have to, to honor your spouse as well as honor the Lord. And they thought, maybe we ought to divorce our spouses so we can serve the Lord more fully. But Paul says, no, we need to, I'm going to affirm the marriage covenant. I'm going to say that, no, that marriage is still important regardless of where you're at. Now, if you are, are unmarried, it's not wise to get married to an unbeliever. It can cause all kinds of conflict and problems inside of your marriage. But if you're already in that situation, you, you have to move forward. You have to deal with that. And you don't leave them just because they're not a believer or vice versa. Salvation does not alter the marriage state. Rather, being married, it ought to strengthen that, that idea of marriage because the one believer needs to understand that marriage was put together by God. And God's ideal is for marriage is to stay together regardless and to leave the marriage, even for the noblest of goals in serving the Lord, would actually put yourself in direct disobedience to other commands of the Lord. Mark ten two through 9 says this, And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So the idea of marriage transcends being a Christian or a not Christian. It was created by God. And once you get married and you're in that relationship, you need to stick with it. Let not someone, even, even if one of you gets saved and the other's not, you need to stick it out. And he's actually going to spend more time and say, this is why we should do those things. But the truth is, is that one of the greatest reasons is that the non-believing spouse can try to win over or the, the believing spouse can try to win over their non-believing spouse. Here's what Peter said about it in 1 Peter 3, 1, 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Basically, what, what Peter's saying, and he's specifically dealing with wives at this point, but what he's saying is, as you live your life like a Christian, as you honor your spouse like you should as a Christian, as you lead your family, as you do all of these things, that even without saying a word, just by living a godly life, you could win your spouse over to the Lord. And the truth is, it can be easy to rationalize leaving. It can be easy to say, this just isn't worth it, it's too hard. But Paul begins to make his case, and he makes a strong one for staying with the unbelieving spouse and being a positive influence in the marriage. And the reality is, is that Paul, just like Jesus, believed that marriage is a permanent thing. Amen? 
In 1 Corinthians 7, 14, he says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, and as it is, they are holy. Now, the first thing that I want to get out of the way when we're dealing with this is this is not teaching that the unsaved partner is saved because of the believing mates. The truth is, is that each person must individually decide to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can't have faith for somebody else. Each person has to make their own decision. They have to have their own faith. They have to choose to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the reality is, is that this does mean that the believer in a marriage relationship exerts a spiritual influence on those who are living in his household or her household, whatever the case may be. They have, they have an impact, and they can show the love of Christ to their spouses and to their children. It means that not only are your children influenced by your decisions, by the life that you live, but it also means that they receive blessing through you that the Lord has imparted on you as well. If a person becomes a Christian, After marriage, you should not use that as an excuse to break up the marriage. It's likely what was going on is, if you guys remember in in chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, um, he was talking about do not associate with immoral people. Do not associate. It's likely they, they... interpreted this to mean that, man, if and remember, Paul dealt with that because he already saw some misunderstanding, but they were probably even going so far as to say, man, I'm not supposed to believe, associate with unbelieving folks, the people that do these things. Man, if I stay married, I'm probably in a bad way myself because my spouse is that way. And they were, they were probably concerned that if they did that, they were committing some sort of sin to stay with their spouse, that they were somehow causing an issue in their own spiritual relationship with God. But Paul's saying that's not the case. Matter of fact, not only are you not being defiled by your spouse, but you're actually being a positive influence to those in the family as well. One of the reasons that that the, the, they should stay together is because the, the believer brings holiness to the marriage. Now, holiness is not the same as salvation. Holiness is just being separated and, and set apart for God. To be holy is to be His. And even having one, marriage, one person in the marriage, it's setting apart that marriage relationship for God. And the truth is, is that blessing that comes upon the believing spouse will flow into the family, flow into this, to the spouse, it'll flow into their children. And this isn't the only time that you see that blessings that are upon a believer will actually flow into somebody else who is not a believer at all. Here's a couple of examples in the Old Testament. In Genesis 30, 27, it says, But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. That the blessing to the believer flowed through him and actually basically fell on somebody else because they were just in the general vicinity. Genesis 39.5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. This was the blessing of one man, Joseph, a man who loved God and was serving him. The blessing for him poured out over an entire heathen uh, society, an entire country was blessed because of one godly man. 
In Numbers 10.29, it says, And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, so he's saying to his father-in-law, son, uh, we are setting out for the place which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. He's like, you know what? Come along with us. Because God, God's going to bless us, and just by you being with us, you're going to receive those blessings. It works the same way in a family as well. When you're serving the Lord, that is going to overflow into your family. It's going to affect your spouse. It's going to affect your, your children. And it's important that we stay there. Like I said, that blessings that flow, they don't stop at just the believer. And one of the people that will be affected the most is the children. They're going to receive the benefits of a godly influence in their life. If, you, if, a, if a spouse leaves, how will they be able to affect their children's lives? How will they be able to minister in them as easily? Paul calls the children of such a marriage set apart because of God's blessing on the family. And the truth is, is the believing parent called to raise his children as believers, to tell them about the love of the Lord, to have an influence, will influence their children to receive salvation themselves. Amen? 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, nothing apparently. It says, but if the unbeliever partner, unbelieving partner separates it, separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So now we're saying, all right, if you have a married couple and one's a believer and one's an unbeliever, the believer is not to leave. They're not to leave their spouse. They're supposed to stay there because the marriage covenant is, is of God. It's pure. It's holy. He can have an influence. He says, but if the unbelieving spouse decides to leave, then the believer is under no obligation. What he's saying basically is it's not a sin if the unbelieving spouse leaves for you. Because the unbeliever may decide that because their husband or spouse becomes a Christian, then it should be dissolved. That's a possibility. The unbelieving spouse may say, you know what? I liked you better when you weren't a Christian. I like going out and having fun and doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And it can cause conflict. And if it comes to the point where they want to leave, Paul says, you know what? You're not under obligation. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel like you're, you're somehow letting God down because, one, it wasn't your choice. You can't make decisions for other people. If they make a decision to leave, that's on them. And you're under no obligation. Because here's why. If the unbelieving spouse decides to leave as a result of the of the believing spouse's Christianity, their, their, their religion, because they want to trust the Lord. And I want to be clear, if you're trying to drive your spouse off by being an idiot, that's not okay. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to, if you're a believing spouse, you're supposed to treat your, your wife or your husband in a godly manner. You're supposed to try to win them to the Lord. You're not supposed to try to drive them off so you can somehow feel better about what's going on. That's not what he's trying to say. He's saying, you know what, you do what you're supposed to do, and if because you're a Christian, they want to leave, then let them go because here's your choices. One, you can try to maintain the marriage, in which case you would probably have to stop serving God or it's not going to work out. Or you continue serving God and you let the marriage go. And the truth is, is given the choice of those two, there's nothing 
more important than serving the Lord. There's nothing that should cause a division between you and the Lord. And you have to let that go. As difficult as that may be. This is one of the few exceptions where divorce is not considered a sin. The other ones are if there's abuse. There's no reason for a man and woman to stay together in abuse, I don't believe. And we're talking real abuse here too. We're not talking I had a bad day. But this is one of the few exceptions where divorce is permitted without sinning. In 1 Corinthians 7, 16, it says, Wife, how do, you not, how do you know whether you will save your husband or husband? How do you know whether you will save your wife? This is the primary reason for this, these types of marriages to not be dissolved or broken up. It's because of the influence you can have on your partner. The intimacy and the day-to-dayness in a, in, a, in a marriage puts you in a u- unique position that you can minister to the unbelieving person, not only with your words, but primarily with your actions, the way that you live your life. You know, that's a captive audience right there. You know, if they, they want to sleep in the house, they've got to stay and, and see you and, and, and see how you're living for God. And I'm not talking about beating them over the head with the Bible. That doesn't work for anybody. What you want to do is show them love and show them what the effect of Jesus Christ inside of you changes you and how you deal with her or him. And the, the, the utmost goal is that eventually that they will be drawn in, that they will, be, they will see the love of Christ in you, and it will cause them to come to know the Lord themselves. He says so powerful that it can be that your testimony, that you could actually save your husband or save your wife. And the truth is, is you don't know. Maybe it happens quickly. Maybe it takes years. But as long as they're willing to stick around, then you have an opportunity. I can never remember the name of who this happened to, but there was once a story, and I think he ended up becoming a a quite powerful minister later in life, but his wife was devoted to the Lord. This was in England in probably the 1800s or something. But his wife was devoted to the Lord, and she served him all the time. And the husband was either not a believer or he had fallen away for a while and he was getting frustrated with his wife because she was always going to Bible studies. She was always talking about the Lord. And he would get frustrated. So one day, she left for a Bible study. It's in the evening. It's the middle of winter. It's in England. And when she left, he locked the door so she couldn't get back in. And she slept on the front steps until the next morning when he got up and he unlocked the door. If that was you, ladies, what would you have done at that point? You want to know what she did? She got up. Who was that? Do you remember who it is? Is it Smith Wigglesworth? Got up. She got up, walked into the kitchen and said, what would you like for breakfast? <laughs> she, she made him. It was that moment that he was so touched by her willingness to, to serve him and still love him, even after he'd been an idiot, that he came to know God. And Smith Wigglesworth, he's one of the biggest preachers from the time that, you, that any of us know of. I don't know that many of them, and he's still a name that I recognize, although I can never remember it for this story. But, but what she did, which all of us are thinking, that's crazy. Why would she do something like that? Saved her husband because she was willing to stay and serve him in a godly manner 
even when he was being very ungodly. Amen? 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now Paul is moving on. This is kind of coming off the tail end of the marriage thing. But he says, you know what? Christians, live as you are called. What does that mean? That means that if you were married when you got saved, stay married. If you were single when you got saved, stay single. Unless you can't, then get married so you don't get yourself into trouble. In this section, as, he, as we continue on, he's going to deal with some other things. He's going to say, basically, even though that all Christians are, are one in Christ, each believer should remain in the same calling as he was when the Lord saved him. And what that means is Jewish believers should not try to become Gentiles by erasing the physical mark of the covenant. Just so you know, the physical mark of the covenant is circumcision. Circumcision. And uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't think by choice I'd get that undone. And then, yeah, and the Gentiles, he said the Gentiles should not try to become Jews. They should not try to get circumcision. He said, remain as you're called. If you're a Jew when you're called, stay that way. If you're a Gentile when you're called, stay that way. Slaves should not demand freedom from their Christian manor, uh, masters just because of their equality in Christ. He said, if you're a bondservant, stay as you are and serve the Lord. And the same principle would apply to Christians who are married to unsaved people. Stay married like we just talked about, have an impact in their life. 1 Corinthians seven eighteen through 19 says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Do you know that Jesus calls people from all manners of walks of life. They could be doing, come from any religious background, come from any type of of social, economic background. They can come with different jobs. They can come in all kinds of ways. And while some changes are made in behaviors and attitudes because of, of what happens, when you get a brand new life inside of you, the natural result is a change in your life. But Paul says there are some things that you really shouldn't try to or you don't have to try to change for example you shouldn't try to marry somebody else he says stay with the one that you're married with you may not even need to try to change jobs if you got a good job and it's not an ungodly job you know if you're a stripper you should probably look for a new job if you work for one of those uh places that gives out uh payday loans you probably should look for a new job. I don't think that's a very godly job, taking advantage of people, for, their, for particularly people that aren't well-off that are poor. It might be a good idea to look for something else. But otherwise, it doesn't really matter where you work. God saves people from all walks of life. He says, instead, pretty much accept whatever situation the Lord has put you in and do whatever you're doing and as you serve the Lord, unto the Lord. And he said, this is not just Paul's advice to the, to the Corinthian church. He says right here, this is a rule in all the churches. This is for every church, for every Christian, every believer. 
You see, what was happening here is we're dealing with the, those who are circumcised and those who are not. And particularly in that day, the, example, uh, the ceremony of circumcision was a very important part of a Jewish believer's life, a, a Jewish man's life. And for the Jews, circumcision was a sign of their covenant of God. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 17, 9 through 14. However, the Greeks would actually look down at those Jews. They, they were considered, to the Greeks, the Jews were considered a lower people. And some Jews, in the attempt to become more acceptable in Greek culture, would attempt to have a reverse surgery done, if you will. And he says, no, if you were if you're saved that way, it's remain that way. Because God doesn't really care about that. He cares about your heart. And then to add to the confusion, there was the, the Judaizers that are around. That These were Jewish Christians that got some wires crossed and some misunderstandings going on. And they were telling people, oh no, if you're a Greek, in order to be saved, you have to become Jewish first. And then you could be saved. You had to become circumcised first. And he says, no, if you weren't circumcised when you were called, stay that way. If you, you are when you're called, stay that way. I can think of other reasons to stay that way. That's not a, a very fun experience for a guy. It just if you, particularly as uh, I had uh, some stepbrothers that, that undergo, underwent the surgery as they were older, and it's an extremely painful surgery. Yep, these guys weren't, though. This was a medical procedure. It was for medical reasons they had it done, and uh, extremely painful. I, I mean, stay as you're called. Because the truth is, is, circumcision doesn't really matter to God as far as, as believing Him as goes. Because it's faith in His Son. It's a circumcision of the heart that matters. And then he goes on to say, starts talking about, where am I at? Now I'm lost. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I just got so derailed. This is what happens when your brain doesn't work after a four and a half hour hike the day before. Praise God. But yeah, we're talking about, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. It has, doesn't have Jewish Christians that need to reverse it and Gentile Christians that need to have it done. It's the interchange that matters. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, 20-23, he goes on. He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freedom is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So now he repeats the same thing that he said in verse 17 for emphasis. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And now he begins to deal with slaves. And here's the thing, that there were many Christians Slave owners at that time, they had bond servants that became Christians. And there were many of those slaves became Christians as well. And what Paul is saying here is that if, if you, and, and you have to understand what a, a, particularly a bond servant was, that was a choice to remain 
and slavery of the one who decided to do it. They were slaves for whatever reason, but if they liked where they were, if they, if they liked their masters, they could choose at the end of it to remain a bondservant. And actually, the procedure to do so is they nailed a, a wooden stake through their earlobe to the doorframe, and it basically said that that was their choice to stay with the family. And they were taken care of. And the truth is, is that uh, slaves... In this particular culture, not, not, I don't know necessarily the Greek portion, but for uh, bond servitude and slavery in the Jewish culture, they were not treated like we're used to thinking of slaves. They were taken care of. It was essentially a, it was like being in the army. It's a job you couldn't quit. So they, but what he's saying is if you find yourself in this situation, you both get saved, don't use your equality in Christ to try to get out of where you're at. But instead, Serve the Lord in whatever you're doing. Ephesians 6, 5-9 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service and with a good will to the Lord and not men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether is he a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. He says that if you're in that position, remain as you are, just continue to serve the Lord. He says if the opportunity comes up that you can have freedom, that you can buy your freedom, or if you have a Christian master that decides that he wants to set you free, take it. But don't try to use your Christian privilege to get out of where you're at. Instead, remain as you're called. And then he says, in the same way, if you are free when you are called, remain that way as well. Don't try to get yourself into a position where you're not, because the truth is, you are a slave of the Lord. You're a slave to righteousness. And the truth is, is you don't want to get yourself in that position, because it can be difficult to serve the Lord and somebody who has authority over you. Amen? And then we're going to end here. 1 Corinthians 7.24 So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the third time that he's mentioned this phrase. He said it in verse 17. He said it in verse 20. And now he says it again as he ends this section. He says, you know, whatever you were called, remain where you're at now. I, I thank God that for the most part, at least in the United States, if you're being called as a Christian, you're not going to find yourself in the situation of a slave and have to, to begin to work for that person as unto the Lord. But in many ways, we have similar situations where we work for people in our jobs and what we're doing. And, and he, Paul says, if you're, if you're called in a way, just stay where you're at. Unless it's what you're doing is in direct opposition to the will of God, unless it is sin, keep doing what you're doing. And the truth is, is in that way, Christians should be the best workers. I mean, that should be like on the, on the checklist. Like, are you a Christian? Because that puts you five points above everybody else. If we were all living our lives as we're called to. If because we're Christians, we say, you know what? I'm going to serve wherever I work, no matter what it is. As if I'm serving the Lord. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm going to honor my, my bosses as an offshoot of honoring the Lord. Just remain where you're at. If you're married, whether you're 
both spouses become believers, whether just one becomes believers, stay married. Stay in that situation. If you're single, stay single and serve the Lord with everything that you have, that nothing might be a distraction if God has given you that gifting and ability. And his other, only caveat was, if you can't get married so your body doesn't burn up in passion and do some stupid stuff. Amen? It says, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. The truth is, is that no matter where you're at, where you've been placed, wherever God calls you, you are in a unique position to reach people that you might not otherwise been able to had you not been in that position. Wherever you, wherever you work right now, do it like you're, you're unto God. Work the best you can. One, you're going to make a positive influence around you. People are going to see, like, man, what do they have? How can, this job sucks. How can they be so positive? How can they be so happy? How can they make such a, a why is their outlook so different? And you might even have people asking you. It's because of Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And you have an opportunity. If you have a a spouse that's not a believer, you have a unique opportunity to reach that person that nobody else has because, like I said, in essence, you've got a captive audience. Unless they leave, you have the opportunity for them to see Christ in you more than anybody else. Whatever position we're called in, we have a unique opportunity to influence those around us. And as Christians, that should be our heart's desires to, to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, is if you believe what you say you believe, then you believe that if they don't know about Jesus, then they're not going to have eternal life, that they're going to hell. And what kind of a people do we have to be to not tell people about the way out, about the way to salvation? Because the truth is, is when we're not sharing, we're in many ways condemning those who don't know the Lord to an eternity of anguish, when we have the opportunity to share. So use where you're at, where you're called to share with the Lord, amen? Or share the Lord with others and be a positive influence in their life. Because one day, whether the seed you planted makes a difference right then and there and they get saved, they'll thank you for it. Or one day in heaven, you're going to see them and they're going to say, you know what, because you did this, because you lived your life in such a way, I finally came to know the Lord. And that's because we lived as we were called, amen? And we could have an impact. 